This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Well, it's time for us to check in on this Friday morning with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. And I know, first and foremost, I know exactly what Vaughn wants to talk about. He would like an update on the Asian giant hornets. Isn't that right, Vaughn? The murder hornets. <laughs> you know what? I saw a bunch of stories of people, like you know, people in the bee industry, upset that the media yeah. were calling them murder hornets. But it's just such a great name. Well, not only that, but according to the news reports that I've read on them, they kill up to 50 people a year in Japan. So that sounds like a bit of a threat to me. You know, I'm not saying we won't get our hair must, but 50 dead, I think, is worth paying attention to. The best story about them this week, though, and I can only tell you I'm not making this up, and I recommend people go to the New York Times website and look this up. It The, sto- the headline is, In Japan, the murder hornet is both a lethal, a lethal threat and a tasty treat. They eat them. What? They eat them. No, Deep they fried. don't. They put them in their drinks, too. Apparently, it gives you a great little buzz, so to speak. So, you know, this story is just endlessly fascinating to me, and I'm glad you asked me for an update, Simi. You're not kidding. I found that story. The murder hornet is both a lethal threat and a tasty treat. That's yep. crazy. Yes. I'm going to have to read this now. That's what I'm going to be doing in the commercial yeah, Well, break. you know, apparently there's a struggle going on between the Japanese and the uh, and the Asian Hornet, and I don't know who's winning it, but uh, as I said, up to 50 dead, I'm not going to put aside my anxieties about this. As well, you should not. And you know what? It's actually a good distraction right now when you consider what else is going on in the world, especially with these jobs numbers that came out this morning. Yeah, although, you know, and I hear Gordon just saying it now, these aren't as bad as some people thought they might be. Uh, the BC number is, uh, what, above 11%, up from 7 um, The last survey that came out here, 132,000 jobs in BC in, in March, mm-hmm. and that was taken at mid-March. So a lot of the closures, a lot of the impact hadn't worked its way through. So I'd heard fears that the that the layoffs actually here, the job losses here, would be even higher. So... Uh, you know, it, this may be a sign that we haven't bottomed out yet. I guess we'll hear that from Carol James when she talks to us at 9 o'clock. Or it may be a sign of what the B.C. government and Dr. Bonnie Henry and others have been saying is that the lockdown, the shutdown in British Columbia was not as sweeping as it was in some places. So we've been insulated a bit. Let's hope this is as bad as it gets. We've been insulated, maybe, from the worst of it. Well, one would hope, right? And we'll see what happens in the weeks ahead. But that emergency benefit sure has been pretty popular, the BC I, You know, this number, the government set up a website. You can apply online for this. It's $1,000. And I think the first 24 hours, there were 16,000 applications. Uh, the Premier said this week it's now more than 400,000 wow. British Columbians have applied for this. The government uh, is processing them as fast as they can and sending the checks out the door. They say they think most of the people applying will qualify. It takes a couple of minutes to fill the form out, 10 minutes. Um, so the payout already is probably over $400 million. 
Um, and of course, that goes straight to people who I am sure are going to put it straight back into the economy and jobs and buying food and paying their bills and their mm-hmm. rent and everything. So it's a, it's a. I think it's a good example of um, government policy to quickly put some cash into the economy and try to shore up the economy and to help people out. All right, then that's also not even part of the uh, economic recovery plan. No, there's, you know, it's interesting when James, uh, when they put this thing through the legislature at the end of March, uh, the $5 billion plan, uh, $1.5 billion of that is for economic recovery. There is an economic recovery task force uh, with the community representatives and labor and business, uh, the government putting together how that money should be spent. Uh, they haven't touched that yet. That money is there for genuine economic recovery. They've dropped little hints about what it might be, but really haven't told us much. Uh, See if James says anything this morning, but the last couple of times the finance minister has been asked about this, she's been saying, we're still working on it, wait for it, but the money has not been touched yet. Interesting. So that whole money that they're going to spend for catching up on the elective surgeries, is that separate from this? That is separate. So we got the elective surgery plan yesterday, and uh, Adrian Dix says uh, $250 million a year, and it could take up to 24 months to clear the backlog. So two years and half a billion dollars to clear well, look, a backlog that built up over two months. So he says that's why this is so complicated. He said it was a lot easier to cancel thousands of surgeries than to bring the system back up, manage clearing the backlog, and keeping capacity in the reserve for all the other stuff that happens in healthcare. And, of course, also for the possibility that, you know, the virus comes back. It hasn't gone away. We could get outbreaks as we, you know, open up the economy a bit. And there could be a second wave in the fall when the flu season comes uh, in October. Right. But this, it sounds like the plan requires like a lot of buy-in too, right, from doctors, because they're going to the health care system is going to have to work pretty hard. It really does. Uh, they're going to extend the operating hours in the operating room. So a lot of operating rooms in BC shut down at three in the afternoon. So those are going to go till six o'clock now into the evening. Uh, they're going to have the uh, operating rooms open on weekends, Saturday and Sunday. Um, they are hoping, normally, and I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having your scheduled surgery canceled mm-hmm. in the summertime, but I have, so I know something about this. July and August are really the downtimes for the healthcare system. A lot of people go on vacation themselves. They don't want scheduled surgery then, and a lot of people in the system go on holiday in July and August. They're hoping to avoid that trough this year. They want the system working right through the summer at To get this done, they really need the system to take on a lot more capacity, talking about changing rules as well to improve productivity, and again, talking about the need to have to protect people in the system too, uh, because if a COVID-19 patient shows up, of course, everybody has to be gowned and in protective equipment and masked, and that person has to be isolated from all the other patients. Right. Uh, and I know that I'm sure Adrian Dix has been asked this question too, and people will say, well, was it necessary, the lengths that they went to to clear out the hospitals? 
Yeah, you know, this is a question, and I get it all the time. You do, too. The 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 flattening the curve thing works so well in British Columbia that people are saying, oh, it wasn't necessary, right? It's, exactly. It's like a catch-22. Okay. So, okay, fine. Um, but he said, look, the, the we reacted to what seemed like an entirely realistic scenario in March, which was if we got inundated with COVID-19 cases, we could go the way of Italy, or New York. And, you know, even though we talk about how great our healthcare system is in Canada, British Columbia has fewer beds per capita than Italy. So we did stand vulnerable to be overwhelmed. So we reacted and, and they modeled it as best they could. And they cleared out the hospitals and the ICUs um, to get ready for a wave that never materialized because, and again, this is the government's argument, but I think it's plausible, because we did all the other stuff that we needed uh-huh. to do to reduce the outbreak. So here we are. He was asked yesterday, yeah, was it worth it? He said, you bet it was worth it. We protected healthcare workers. We never ran the risk of the system being overwhelmed. But now we have to get to work and clear the backlog, and that's not going to be easy to do. It's going to take us a long time. The amount of money isn't huge, actually. I know $250 million sounds like a lot of money. It's only about 1% of the health care budget in British Columbia. So that part of it is, is probably yeah. the least onerous task. You're right, Simi, getting buy-in from all the workers in the mm-hmm. system, the surgeons, the anesthetologists. Never. I'm not even going to try to say anesthesiologist. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. I can tell I you're my on radio, and I, I had my guy. cup of tea this morning. So <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, they need a lot of buy-in. Nurses, um, all those nurses that came back to the system to help out yeah. during the the pandemic, they're going to be asked to stay. All oh, of boy. the casuals and part-time workers. They say they're going to hire the entire graduating class from Holy. the nursing schools this year in BC all 1,550 of them, and give them full-time jobs if they want them right off the top. Well, that's amazing. Okay. More for us to talk about. Vaughn, thank you. Okay. Bye-bye, Simi. That is Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. That is amazing for the nursing class of 2020, and we'll see how that shapes up for the healthcare system. If you want to weigh in, Simi at cknw.com.